Xevious, the Avenger. Mission, seek and destroy Xevious enemy aircraft and bases. Welcome to Nostalgia, a chronological exploration of every NES game released in North America. I'm Mike. I'm Sean. And I'm Joe. How we feeling today, guys? What's good? What's good? I feel I feel spectacular, Michael. I mean, how could you not feel great after playing Xevious? I feel like I don't <laughs> usually just like check in with you guys like as a general temperature thing. No, I do appreciate it. I do appreciate like that you actually think about us beyond uh, just vectors for making a uh, <laughs> podcast, you know? Right. Well, we've known each other for a long time outside the podcast, but we've never spoken since we started the podcast. Ever since then, it's been strictly <laughs> business for the three of us. So it's good to hear that you're both well. Anybody have children or anything like that? Nope. Okay. No children yet. <laughs> All right. So, you know, this is this is like that Galaga Demons of Death game that we got earlier. And before you guys tell me why, I'm going to tell you why. It's because this is an early arcade game. They added a new subtitle to it, The Avenger. Xevious The Avenger. I don't know who that is. Is that like a member of Captain America's team? It is Captain Xevious America. is The Avenger, yeah. So Xevious is The Avenger, or did Xevious like, take down The Avengers? And just took their name? Well, because Xevious is the enemy aircrafts, right? So, like, Xevious oh. isn't the Avenger, right? We are the Xevious, Avengers. I thought Xevious was just, like, it, like they're all devious, you know? Ooh, I like that. I, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't notice the rhyme there. <laughs> so, so, if Xevious is the enemy aircraft, then there's no, there's no way to spin it that, that you're the Avenger. The, the bad guys are the Avenger. Right, that, that's what you would have to that, think. Because, uh, yeah, I didn't realize. And the reason why I say that, Joe, is just because it's right on the front of the box, is that the mission is to seek and destroy Xevious enemy aircraft and bases. There's no commas, there's no periods that would like make you think that they're separate from each other. This, those Xevious <laughs> are the enemy aircraft and or, bases. Or maybe, maybe it's that like they are the Xevious Avenger, like they avenge because of the Xevious. But, but it says Xevious the Avenger. Okay. Um, not Xevious <laughs> Avenger. That's you true. You know what? You're and right. also, it could be talking about. It could be talking about. Uh, could just be referring to the game, like like it's just referring to itself. Like, yeah, take out those Xevious enemies. It's like if Mario was like, yeah, take out those Super Mario Goombas. Right. Whereas, <laughs> whereas, like with Galaga, they were the demons of death, and that was very clearly communicated to the player. I knew right away from just starting up the first level. I was like, those are the demons of death. True. It's true. It's, it's unclear who the Avenger is here. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, and also, you know, the biggest reason why this is like Galaga is because there are no real updates to this game, similar to how there were no real updates from the arcade to the NES port of Galaga. Uh, you know, this this feels like I'm playing an arcade game from the <laughs> early 80s. Do you guys disagree? Very much so. Um, that, like, of course, like, we're we're finally getting back to our bread and butter, which is just shmups and you know, for a while there it was like oh maybe there's more to the nes than shmups like oh we got a bunch of uh game shows now like at least this is different but you know it, they always seem to find a way to take you back and uh like Xevious is uh our unhappy return i feel <laughs> i was actually surprised that wheel of fortune didn't turn out to be a shmup it, it probably has a, a shmup mini game hidden in there somewhere <laughs> That's what you would have been doing with the Porsche. It would have been like a spy hunter <laughs> yeah. shmup. Exactly. Uh, you know, there was a, there. I'll give an overview of Xevious first, but I feel like we did get an actual updated version of Xevious as a previous NES game. I want to say something like Tiger Heli came close to being like what an, an actual modern Xevious would be. But Xevious is an early arcade shmup that has you pitted against dozens of enemy spaceships. And I, I don't know what to call them, but the the... Things that take place on land, they're like bases almost, or... They're like vehicles artillery. and... Artillery. Yeah. 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 Um, and the game takes place entirely without interruption. There's no, like, stage one or stage two. It just loops back to the beginning after you complete a loop. Uh, sounds very enthralling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the fact that the music doesn't even interrupt itself from that one tiny little loop. Yeah, I think it's a... It's like a 0. 0.8 
second loop. Yeah, it really, really uh, is like almost hypnotic. <laughs> and and so Tiger Heli was the game I was thinking of, but that one doesn't. Um, you can shoot land. You can shoot on the land uh, bases and and even things in sea with your uh, with your ammo. So what's the game I'm thinking of there that like lets you attack like in the air with land? But oh, it was Stinger, right? I think so. I think there there were a, a couple, few, haven't there? Yeah, there There's was a that few heli- that do that. Didn't that helicopter one? Uh, well, that's Tiger <laughs> Heli. Oh, right? Tiger Heli. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. So Tiger Heli not essential. Stinger essential. <laughs> Yeah. Got it. Um yeah, I don't I don't really know um I don't really know what makes Xevious special as an NES game. Is this just do you think this is a thing that like this was put on the system because it was a very and it, it truly it was a very popular arcade game back in the early 80s and maybe like someone finally now wants it for their home because arcade uh machines are like, you know, $2000 or I'm making numbers <laughs> but like you know, they're very expensive, and it's like, finally, we can give it to them on the NES, right? That's, like, is that the that's really all, that's the, all I can think of to, as a reason, um, because there are enough of these experiences on the system already, like, as we've, as we've notified, <laughs> but uh, I guess this specific game hasn't been on here yet, so it's just, yeah, any, any classic, they have to fill out their catalog. Uh, but that's just me as somebody that has never played the arcade game Zevius, um, and not really knowing the full experience. No, I'm like telling I'm, you, it's this. It's this, Sean. It's I, this. I've played it, and it is this. Even, even graphically, it looks very much like this. Wow. Well, uh, that's <laughs> well, that's all I can think of. That. <laughs> I think that that is exactly what happened. Like it's it's just for people who who loved it in the arcade. Like you said, they want to own it. But I also think another factor that might factor in is just that in 1988 gamers like general gamers didn't have like the the, like collective knowledge that we have now of every other game that's out and like you buy a game you're like oh this is a cool game where you fly a ship and you shoot you're not really like aware of you're not really thinking like oh man there's been so many of these i imagine you wouldn't be so aware because you just didn't have access to every game and you weren't, you weren't watching videos of the games you didn't own and you weren't like yeah you know you had the the games that you owned and the games that your friends owned so maybe it was like it was a lot more forgivable for there to be so many similar games because you just had less access to them i i'd say i agree with that and you know we're we're in a particular time period for for video gaming right now with remakes, remasters and ports like where the fine line between those three things and what they are and I think it would just be funny to think about Xevious here and it's like from a purist perspective is it better that they left this game mostly untouched for fans of Xevious as an NES thing like should they have added a separate mode or like should they have modeled it after the other shmups that are on this system and included like stages and power-ups or was this just like this is just for the purists i think there's two ways of looking at that you know i think you just you just kind of spelled them out there too i think if if you want this because you loved it in the arcade and you want to go back and play your favorite game i don't think you want you think you want to like just play that again because you know how often how much access to like the arcade version do you have but then there's also i think there's a lot of uh I don't know, there could be a lot of desire for, like, a, an updated version of it. I loved that game back then. How how does it age now compared to games that I've played since? And I mean, then when you it comes... So I think it's just a preference. When it comes to uh, home ports of arcade games, it, it's sort of been a crapshoot when it comes to quality and how well it... Um, how, how well it actually remakes the experience, or, like, how well it ports the experience. And if this is as as much of a one-to-one port as you're saying, Mike, I would say that, yeah, if I was a fan of this game in the arcades, I would be more than happy to play it as is at home without spending dollars <laughs> of quarters uh, just to keep going. So um, I guess that's one way to look at it. Yeah, and even from like a purist's point of view, uh, you know, going off of what Sean was saying there, even Nintendo can't seem to get their arcade ports exactly right with Donkey Kong being limited to missing an entire stage mm-hmm. of that arcade game. So there's definitely, uh, you know, a thinking here where I, I think Joe was touching upon where people don't know 
everything that's happened in video games like we do now, you know? And and we're kind of obsessive about it. I'm not sure, like, the general gamer knows this stuff either. But, uh, you know, for some people, they would buy Xevious, not know that there was an arcade game in the early, like, you know, 10 years earlier, and they would enjoy this game. They wouldn't really find many problems with it because they didn't own all the other shmups that were on the NES. Yeah. Yeah, I think that because we have the entire catalog in front of us, we can we make a lot of different judgments that uh, players may not have made back when they were being released. So having having played through the, the game, would you say that if you had spent money on this and knowing what you know, uh, you would feel burned, no? I, I guess, like, if I didn't have a special relationship with Xevious Arcade, um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be all that pleased with what I got um, because this is just, it seems like another bare bones shmup, like another like template shmup that didn't get all of the bells and whistles that the new ones or the newer ideas usually get. I don't know how you guys felt. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think that the, the, uh, the only way that you're, you're pleased, really pleased with this purchase is if you set out like, for nostalgic reasons, you wanted to play this old game, you know, completely, fully will keep my interest for a long time. And so let's let's get into that actual gameplay. Uh, you know, there, there's really the thing that sets it apart from some other shmups is that that thing we talked about where there's shooting and there's bombing. Uh, you, you bomb the uh, land enemies and you shoot the aerial enemies. There's a weird, like, lock-on system for that where you can see where your bombs are going to land, but you can't move or control that. It's just, like, if a land enemy happens to be in that crosshair, that's your perfect time to bomb them. It's basically a reticle, and it's it. it, I wouldn't imagine that you could uh, adjust it. Like, if you treat it as, like, the reticle in a first-person shooter nowadays, like, you can't move your crosshair. You just have to put your enemy in the crosshair. So I think that that's totally fine. And I guess it is unique, at least in that it gives you that information. Unlike, I think, maybe Tiger Heli and uh, some of the other shmups, just like you just had to eyeball it. Right. Were those ones, were you actually dropping bombs and they would hit at a certain point? Or would if, if an enemy on the ground crossed over the trajectory of your bomb? Though that's more for hit. games like Gradius and um, and Life Force. Yeah, the that, side ones with the missiles. Yeah, right, right. But there yeah, were okay, some so where you had to bomb similar. directly. Right. Yeah, it would like go over their head if it wasn't that distance away. Gotcha. Yeah, the the, the crosshair didn't bother me too much. It, it, it maybe it's just because we're not used to it. it. It was a little weird. It just maybe and also because it's like on an NES game. There, everything's. Uh, just so much clunkier than we're used to that like having a crosshair that is like the exact almost the same size of your ship moving at this it felt like it like clutters the screen a little bit but that's me kind of looking for like things wrong with it otherwise like it didn't i don't think well, it was sort of too bad on that note just talking about the uh the visual look of this game um it, it is sort of uh, it, it's sort of unique in that it's got this like pseudo vector thing going on where it is super clean. It's the cleanest looking game that I've seen on this system to a fault <laughs> where it's basically just straight lines and um, and solid colors. Um, and I think that any busyness that you would see with like this extra reticle uh, is completely countered by the fact that most of this game has zero texture. Yeah, I, I'm glad you you put it that way too, because I was trying to find that, like trying to really like articulate my what what was grabbing me about like what felt off about this, and it was it was kind of like what you said was that the it's so it's so it's like clean, clean. yeah yeah <laughs> it's it's so clean that like it's all solid colors that it, at first it looks like wow this is like really bright and colorful and like. There's no like weird glitchy textures, which you know things that might look kind of crappy on the NES. But mm-hmm. then because there's none of that texture stuff, it almost looks like it looks like something I would have made in like Microsoft Paint is what I keep thinking of. <laughs> like yeah. it looks really, really like maybe it's because we're just conditioned to remember that kind of stuff from like our old computers. But it just looks 
very like like a kid drew it you know yeah even the uh enemy uh the enemy art is it's mostly just circles with bullet like with things that bullets come out of in the center <laughs> right yeah and you don't even see like an actual spot for where those bullets might come out they just come from the center of every yeah. si- of every single enemy there's no ship Super design goofy. per se yeah <laughs> and the, yeah the really the only like nice sprite work is your ship which makes sense because it's it's on there the whole time but i have this weird feeling of like looking at the you know like looking at the ground and it it just keeps giving me this idea of like baseball fields (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, (laughs) i kind of see that and there's also this whole thing of like i I don't know you guys didn't own an intellivision or an atari right you guys didn't don't know me no okay well you know me I had a pretty extensive Intellivision collection for some reason, and wow. this game kind of looks like an Intellivision game, and that's not a compliment. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm not saying that it's nice. I'm just saying that it looks, uh, yeah, too clean. But yeah, I know what you're saying. And Joe, you had mentioned a long time ago on our Star Force episode, I don't know if you remember that game or not, but... Star Force was the shmup with no power-ups. And you said, I could mm-hmm. see this as more of, like, for a purist, you know, or somebody who just wants to learn how to be good at shmups. Does yeah, that change think, at all for you for Xevious? I think for Xevious it does change, because this this isn't, like, a particularly... In my opinion, as someone who doesn't like shmups in general, this isn't a particularly fun one. I thought I could see uh, Star Force being more... I don't know. It's, it feels like more of a challenge. It still feels like a little more of a traditional shmup. I mean, this feels... It, every, you're just moving very slowly. You've got that repetitive music. A lot of the... Maybe it's because I'm not good at it, but a lot of the uh, the firepower coming at you, it, to me, felt so much harder to dodge between than in other games we've had. Oh, yeah. Like, it's no, harder this is to still see. Very... It's, it's really dense. It, it just... I don't know. I, I was I wasn't getting it from this. Yeah, it's still a very difficult game. So I don't know if like that whole uh, Star Force is more of a challenge uh, statement is all that true. Uh, but at least uh, I can't remember Star Force, but I can only imagine it had a little bit more personality than this right. one. I I, sh- I wouldn't say that, I, that I'm trying to say that Star Force was more challenging. I think it's just more that it was challenging in the ways that it was like designed to be challenging, and not like this one's challenging because it's just like crazy stuff's coming at you too much or like it felt like there was a little more intent in what was making star force challenging basing this off of my limited memory of what that was but uh but that that's how i remember feeling about it at the time yeah Hmm. did you guys notice that you know the way that enemies attack you it's very uh it's it's kind of poorly designed i'm going to throw it out there because it's all always in relation to where you currently are so if you are on like the far right corner and you drag yourself along from right to left, all of the bullets that come at you from any particular enemy will follow that same curve with you. And yeah, they might eventually catch up with you or something, but I just think it's weird that their only point of target is just wherever you currently are. There's no, like, enemy that shoots this way that, like, then comes around the other way. You know, like, we've seen patterns and shmups, and this one just seems to be more guaranteed to be, like, wherever you are, that's where we're coming for. Yeah, I I noticed that, too, because... What what stuck stuck out to me was that you have to constantly be moving back and forth because if you if you stay in like one point, all of the firepower will just be concentrated on you, and if you wait too long, there's like almost no way to get past it because it's all at coming at you. I mean, so I felt like you had to just constantly be moving around and just like in like you could even move in circles and avoid the stuff. You know, I, I'm not gonna say that like this is a like a, a great game in terms of game design, but I I will at least say that uh that is a design decision like for it to be to make sure that you have to keep moving i i'm not gonna say that that's an intrinsically bad thing about the game i i, I may it may not be as enjoyable than learning patterns and then just sort of like staying out of that pattern's way but i i think that that it's it's not a fault of the game that it, it's like sort of tracking you i think that that is its own kind of game sure yeah i i see your point there yeah, I think um, that's fair. I was just trying. I, I was just saying it was an observation more than anything. I definitely think that's a valid point of yours to say that that was a design decision. You have to. You. It's not a random chance. You have to program them to do so. Yeah.
Um, did anybody notice that, uh, not to jump ahead to, I guess, what we would, I don't know if you'd even call them boss battles, but those giant things in the ground, I guess they're Are boss battles. You're talking about Andor Genesis? Excuse me? I suppose. <laughs> I yeah, suppose. You know, <laughs> that's what they're called in the manual. Uh, it's the big boss, the big the big base, if you will, Andor Genesis, and that's the only time your screen stops scrolling is when you have to deal with uh, Andor Genesis, which right. I think is just such a cool name, so I'm going to keep saying it. Joe, what were your thoughts on it? <laughs> well, I, I was going to say that that is where I think like the culmination of, of what we're talking about here is where I really noticed it. was I, I thought that was one of the most difficult shmup bosses we've ever faced, including the Double Volcano from uh, Double from Volcano. <laughs> Yeah. Um, what about upside but, down double full game? Yeah. Let's not go too far. <laughs> um, but it was. But again, I mean, I guess to Sean's point, it, it is not necessarily like bad design. It was just so difficult because it was just like it felt like constant walls of, yeah. of these tiny little balls of bullets or whatever they are. And there was like almost no room to to get through there, and it just felt like there was nowhere to go. Like they were just everything was honing in on you, and it like didn't give you anything to work with. I mean, again, maybe that's just because I'm not great at, at this game, but I feel like that was like difficult in a way that was like no, it definitely I, I didn't feel was. like I could come up with like a good strategy. I just had to kind of really just like hope and like dodge as best I can. But yeah, I agree that it, it was. Very difficult, and I think part of the reason why it's so difficult is because um, there there's no variety in in terms of like the shit that's being shot at you. Like every everything, whether it's like these floating bowling balls that that dip into and out of space, or the giant bosses, they're all they're all shooting these same bullets at you with no variety as to like how big they are, how they move, how how fast they are. And when you just pile on and it's just like dozens of uh, like dozens of bullets in the air all going at you, I think that that's sort of like lazy design and also just it, it overwhelms the player. I mean, yeah, there are a lot of people that are very good at this game, but I it it just seems broken in that regard where it's like these bosses are, it's just too much. I don't know. Yeah. And, and Andor Genesis has me thinking about like the spray of these bullets too, because we're used to in most of our shmup games, but especially in the good ones, we're used to a, a spray on these bullets that allows you to kind of weave through yeah. them. And that's not the case here because as Sean mentioned, the, the bullets are so small uh, the projectiles, whatever you want to call them, they're so small, and there is chance for overlapping and stuff like that, that in some ways they kind of create like a wall that blocks you off from moving in a particular in a particular direction, and you have to, there's no dodging, it's more like just, you know, like moving against the grain of the shooting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just making sure that you get into that one tiny, like, door. Right. Like, and I don't know. Yeah, and, and I also noticed that there were like there were like points that were really difficult, like like aside from the boss battles, really difficult because there's dense firepower everywhere, and then there'd be like long periods of time that felt like like a rest, which which isn't necessarily bad, but just felt like the difficulty was very lopsided. Where like sometimes it would be like, oh my god, I, I I'll never get past this part, and then like for the next you know three minutes, it's like really easy, and then it's incredibly hard again. Like, it just felt like. It, and maybe that is partially because it has to do with where you're flying and when things are shooting at you, but it just didn't yeah. feel like it was getting progressively more difficult. It just felt like it was like sometimes it's really hard and sometimes it's not so hard. I think it's just a like a not so perfect implementation of like the concept of quiet time, which exists more in like more modern games and less in arcades because it, it, you're paying for like this high uh, adrenaline experience, but um, I I don't think it's a it's a necessarily bad thing that there are these weird lulls. Um, but the timing and spacing of those lulls is is yeah erratic at best. Did you guys happen to notice the way that uh some of the spaceships are designed? Uh, you know they they kind of resemble some other sci science fiction works like the the X wings from Star Wars. Um, apparently there's some Battlestar Galactica inspired ships <laughs> really? as well. There's, uh, the UFOs, which are just, you know, the common saucer things. Uh, they, 
you know, they acknowledge this uh, in, in their in their development process. They said that they pretty much use those X wings as models and stuff. I don't mind that at all, but I do think it's kind of weird to have like these homages to so many different sci-fi works all in one piece. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I guess I didn't really notice just because they're so small um, mm-hmm. and moving so fast that you can't. Aside from these weird, like they they look like CDs just flying in the air. Uh, that is, I think it's your first enemy. Um, I couldn't really tell the difference between them. Um, aside, yeah, aside from the the other weird bowling balls that would just like phase in and out of existence. <laughs> yeah. Right. the The X wings, you I would notice at least because um, that's just something very familiar to me. But also, they are the most aggressive. They they come in from the top and they they kind of just come at like top speed directly at you. They're the only enemy like that. Most most enemies come in either from the sides or they stay on screen for a while. The X-wings just kind of fly by and then that's it. Huh. What about the uh what about the tumbling rectangular gray boards? <laughs> yeah. What sci-fi is that? <laughs> I think <laughs> that's that uh, like what I want to say. I don't know if it is, but it, it they look very much like monoliths. That's like what I was going to say from 2001. Yeah, Space yeah. Odyssey, yeah. Oh, gotcha. I didn't expect that there would be an answer to that, but that's a good, that's a good point. Yeah, no, that's what I was thinking, too, when you asked that question. That's funny. Um, <laughs> you know, but there's, but there's limited amounts of enemies, too. It's not like, you know, if they wanted to embrace all these different science fiction works, there's, there's countless spaceships they could have designed. But there's really only, you know, I want to say, like, we keep saying the word dozen, but I feel like there's less than a dozen different enemy types that you can face. Yeah, yeah I, I'd say so. And I feel like at first, like early in the game, it feels like wow, they they keep introducing new things. But then after like like after like three minutes, you're like, oh, that's everything. Like they've introduced everything. <laughs> like I feel like it, things don't really ramp up too much more than you get at, at, from the beginning, and then it just like you're just going through more of that. And that, to be that fair, that's that's something Sean covered. You know, he he said that you're paying in the arcade. You're paying for that experience to all happen to you very quickly. You want right. that rush. You know, they don't want somebody who hangs out for 20 minutes playing the machine. <laughs> yeah, that's true. At least on the same quarter. Right. And they, and they especially want to make sure that they get that iconic, Xevious, weird, like, 1990s GPS map uh, <laughs> uh, to fly over to. Well, uh, so this game was developed by Namco. It was uh, pretty much their answer to Konami's Scramble, which uh, I don't think we'll ever get an NES port of, but it would be very similar to uh, Xevious right here now, where after we've been good. spoiled with some good Konami shmups, we don't really want to go back to something like Scramble. At least that's my opinion. I think I can agree with that. The The player's ship in this game is named the Salvalu. And I yeah, don't know I'm what not sure that, how to pronounce it. Right. I don't know why that's important or anything, but great. There's lore for Xevious now, too. I hope everybody <laughs> takes that information and does whatever they want with it. I don't want more lore for these smups. I don't understand. <laughs> Xevious was an unprecedented success for Namco in Japan, and they said that they might have sold as many arcade units as Space Invaders in its first week of release. Wow. The... Famicom version became the console's first major seller for third parties with over 1.26 million copies sold. That's insanity. That's like Rockstar uh, movement. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So the the crazy thing there is that uh, the Famicom version of this, which is the same game, came out in 1984. We're getting the same game now in America in 1988. Yeah, it, it it seems that there's some weird mistimings here, but that always seems to be the case when we get these arcade ports. Yeah, the the same success, though, did not happen in America. This NES game and just the arcade game in general didn't quite take off the same way that uh, Namco would have liked compared to like how Space Invaders dominated in both Japan and America. So, you know, if you're a famous arcade game that sold, uh, you know, a million and a quarter copies. Like you're gonna have sequels and spinoffs. Surely you guys expected this, right? Of course. I always expect there to be sequels and spinoffs to games that fail. So if this was <laughs> successful, um, 
I, I can't imagine how many there are. Tell yeah, us, I mean, Mike. Look, look at Assassin's Creed. That series this just keeps going. This is my favorite part of the podcast. <laughs> because it's like a history lesson for you. You don't have to say anything. You just get to react. <laughs> and just go, wow. All right. So we're going to start this thing in uh, 1984. The follow-up arcade game to Xevious, Super Xevious, would come out. Uh, it's an updated version of Xevious made to cater towards veteran players. Do you think that's a mistake? <laughs> I mean, if there are that many veteran players, then I don't think it's a, I don't think it's too bad of a move. If, if you, you think like the focusing focusing on the hardcore element of it instead of like making it more accessible, like you know what I'm saying? I, I yeah, guess I mean, veteran it's... gamers would never have fallen for the scam of the Super Nintendo, which was obviously a scheme <laughs> to get more money. I, I I don't know. I guess it's not something that would make sense in in, a, in like a market sense but it's something that we always sort of hoped that uh developers would do so i don't know maybe not the, not the best idea and then on the msx2 in 1988 same time as Zevius comes to north america on the nes we have Zevius fardro saga it includes the original Xevious alongside a brand new game mode featuring power-ups and new enemy type. Finally got to the party. <laughs> got to like a real shmup, essentially, now. <laughs> yeah, it caught up like, to what people were doing years ago. You know, more importantly, there is a three-part novelization of Xevious the Fardro Saga. Oh my so God. if you really want the deep lore, you can read the three-part uh, three novel uh, to understand the Xevious Saga. Novel. Uh, do you think you know i think what i have in the show notes here is a link to amazon or something like that where you can buy them do you think you'll be buying them sean no you're actually going to link in amazon.com like so we're now just we're shilling for a, a book series from the 80s okay well you know what i just found this place called shiruga dash yah.com and that's definitely not amazon so we'll link them know. instead I, that, that might have viruses you know <laughs> yep it's it could be yours for 244 hong kong dollars so i'd say not... if you want the three-part novelization now's the time <laughs> Zevius 3d slash g i mean kid you not uh tetsuya this nomura is kingdom hearts <laughs> game <laughs> i was gonna say tetsuya nomura did not direct this game it has nothing to do the naming convention is it's just basically Xevious 3D slash G is the same old Xevious that we're used to, now with low poly backgrounds on the PlayStation 1. Okay, I guess I can kind of see how that might look, considering these are, it's like low texture map backgrounds in the, in the NES. So it's just like FF7 zero texture mapping on these, like just green. Completely. I love it. Except for, sorry, no, something important about Xevious 3DG is that it wouldn't be green. It, it, it took place in space. Ah, that's so there's, to make more there's no ground. Cool. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, then we have a lost Xevious film. <laughs> <laughs> it was going to be it was going to be a CG film in 2002 that uh, I believe what I'll be linking to is from the Lost Media Wiki that has a few screenshots of it for people to check out. <laughs> but there's also the plot and uh, the production and stuff like that. The crazy part is, is that this existed. Like, it was made. We just don't have a copy of it anymore. Then did it ever exist? Was it, well, was it, it was made and released? Made and released. And uh, the only thing we have now are just, like, a promotional disc that mentions the film. Uh, someone's got to have it out there. Yeah. Someone's got to have, have taped it. Uh, Send us your tape, listeners. Yeah, this <laughs> is crazy. Yeah, there's a, there's posters for the movie. There's an untranslated overview of the plot. And you're saying, like, just to confirm, you're saying that this movie doesn't exist in any form anymore. It's lost. It is considered lost, and it wow. uh, it was initially announced in February of 2002. That's an, That's amazing. Apparently, 21st after century that, lost film. Right. After that, it was planned for VHS and DVD release, but never came out. That's because they lost it. Right. I think that's I think that's crazy. But also, Sean, if you're into this kind of thing, I would just say check out the Lost Media Wiki in general, because there's way too much lost media out there. 
Yeah, yeah I guess I've, I gotta I've check it out. I've gone down a couple of rabbit holes on Lost Media Wiki also. <laughs> I've never done that. I'll check it out, though. Yeah, you'll have a good time with that. And of course, just like all video games will eventually become, Zevius ends its life cycle at C.R. Zevius, the pachinko machine. <laughs> of course. It's only a matter of time until we get Super Mario Pachinko, if we don't have that already. I'm not familiar with it. I don't think they would want Mario and gambling to be mixed together, but eventually it will happen. Make no mistake. I can't wait. All right. Uh, We are done with our sequels and spinoffs section. Uh, Sean, I expect in the post-show you'll talk about the novelization, considering you're familiar with it. Of course. Good. Then right now we will get into the Essential Games list. Okay, Sean, I need your vote for the Essential Games list because we always vote here in America. That's true. You have to exercise your right. So go ahead. So uh, basically what we've been saying this whole time is that the game is uh, primitive and really that's all you can really say about it. There's, There's not much else that is interesting to talk about. Uh, that therefore it is not essential. It will not be on the list. Um, but you know, it's I'll, I'll have to start reading those books. I think that that's that's like the the new tagline is like, yeah, the game sucks, but I gotta start reading those books. Like, <laughs> whereas like I always said the opposite about the Harry Potter games. I was like, yeah, those books suck, but I gotta play Chamber of Secrets on <laughs> yeah. GameCube. You know, you know, I I really want that RPG to come out. I've never read the books, but. <laughs> Well, I'm sure that RPG, just like um, the next Batman Arkham game, just like the next Prince of Persia game, just like the next Star Fox game, are all just right around the corner. Yeah, of course. 2020 is going to be the year, guys. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Assuming the murder hornets become developers. Uh, Anyway, anyway, Joe, you have a vote too, so please vote. Uh, Yeah, I mean, even among the collection of shmups that we've gotten so far, this is on the lower end of it for me, uh, and that's that's tough because I'm not a shmup fan anyway. So to be on the low end, the shmups is not not a great look. Um, again, <laughs> that that might just be because of my shmup bias. But that aside, I do think Sean, you kind of summed it up pretty well. It's it's just a little overly simple. There's nothing there's nothing really to it. I gotta say, not essential. Yeah, I think what this really comes down to is that I don't feel like even at the time this game is offering a good value. Uh, you know, I, we talked about very early on that this might just be for people who were fans of the arcade game, and I think that's fine. I'm not offended by the game's existence. I just can't see this being a full-value NES game in 1988, let alone now. It, it's a super early arcade game that got a late port on the NES. Uh, they added a subtitle on it to trick some people into thinking that they might be getting something new. <laughs> There's no real updates going on with this game. Uh, it, the graphics are very simple, no power-ups, limited amounts of enemies. Andor Genesis is a really cool boss name, and yeah, I like seeing the X-Wing in the game, but that's not going to do it for me. This is not making the essential games list. I do have a, a quick aside. Please. It's more a question. Um, but sometimes during this game, there would be a weird, like, cube thing that would come in front of you and sort of put things next to your ship and then it would just go away do we know what that was what that was for i personally have no idea i remember seeing that now but i don't remember ever i don't remember like for a second for a second i thought it was an actual power-up and then it never did anything so uh, i just thought that was worth mentioning like at least trying to figure it out (laughs) you know what yeah we, we we can solve this together and the best way to do that is for our listeners to write in and tell us that we completely missed the mark on this and that uh in fact the game's graphics are great because the borders between the game areas are indicated by forests uh that is something that they're actually told in the manual you are and you you know it's more just like the borders of the game area are the edges of your television yeah uh i you know i looked for you sean here and i still don't really see i see a winning strategies section where zevious troops become increasingly fierce to defend against them you must destroy the enemy information system back. you know you know what i i also read the manual and uh i thought since it was in the manual i might ask my friends and you are completely losing me here 
Yes, I understand. Well, I feel like anybody, you know, this is a good manual to go to sleep to. So uh, there's really not, <laughs> not, nothing to save in the day over here. Uh, I do the like audio the audiobook is good to sleep. Yeah, yeah, the audiobook of the manual. That's a great right. idea. Somebody makes an audiobook of like the, yeah. you know, Stephen 742 only, NES manuals. If only we knew somebody that made audiobooks. Yeah, well, someday. Uh, all right, this has been uh, that it for this episode, but I've got some bad news for Joe and probably some bad news for Sean because our next game, the game we'll be playing next week, which you should all play along to, is. 1943, The Battle of Midway, the sequel oh, no. to, you guessed it, the year 1942. Uh, <laughs> they always follow sequential. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah, it's going to be a good time, guys. I like 1943. That's my spoiler alert. But, uh, you know, you'll have to tune into the episode to see if it makes it to the essential games list. Why don't you just tell us now, Mike? Would you we already, really? You already, wrote, you already wrote the script. So tell us. I know, right, right. But would we really, like, have that many shmups on the Essential Games list? Of course. <laughs> this is going to become shmupstalgia by the end of this. That's true. All right. Uh, one thing to note is that I have, you know, we're, we're at the end of September of 1988 here, and I have the September 1988 Nintendo Power open because, uh, you know, it's their only chance to follow along. But there's just not a lot of interesting stuff happening in here. So we're going to deal with this in the post show if anybody wants to come join. Uh, that happens after the song, which is created by Sam Smith, a uh, former resident of Nostalgia, but still friend. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. So we'll see you guys next time. I'm Michael Esposito. You can reach Nostalgia at NostalgiaCast, and you can reach me at Esposito Film. Those are both on Twitter. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. So as I mentioned, you know, for this post show, we're just going to talk about Nintendo Power uh, September of 1988. It's also like slash October. So there's a bit of like a Halloween theme going on here. Castlevania 2 is getting the front cover and it's way cooler than the um, Mario Clay stuff they did on Nintendo Power number one. So uh, I know you guys don't have a copy of this readily available to you. You don't know that. Oh, OK, great. Um, I happen to own a copy of the, the Power Number One. I think that's worth throwing out there. Yeah, how much is it worth in real money? Where do you live? <laughs> yeah, right, where do you right. live? Uh, what's What's cool though is, I mean, like you know, this is this is Nintendo Power, which you know you would think is aimed more towards kids, but very right on the front cover there, you have uh, Simon Belmont holding Dracula's head, and it's just like an all red <laughs> cover. Like it's just like it, the whole thing is just designed to be pretty gritty. I like it. I thought you were going to tell me that it was Simon Belmont and like a Speedo or something. <laughs> right, right. I mean, a romper. And, you know, and that's one thing to open with like a, a real, you know, like a really uh, cool cover like that where it's all bloody and gory and like, oh, it's going to be an intense Halloween issue or something like that. And then immediately when you open it, there's a kid with like 30 NES games on a surfboard riding a fake tidal wave and he's got like cheap $1 <laughs> sunglasses on. So the uh, vibe is all cool. over the place on this issue. But the thing that's the nineties. Right. Sorry, the eighties. Yeah, it's the eighties. But the early nineties are are pretty much the late eighties, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the thing that we're gonna get into here is the mailbox section, because I'm gonna read to you guys what people wrote, and rather than telling you what Nintendo said, you guys can respond to them, okay? Mm-hmm. Okay. Alright. Uh this comes from Justin, Ryan, Cameron, Jeremy, and that's it. And they are in uh Kansas. They write my friends and I have been wondering if we could make a game and send our idea to your company. Okay. Um, <laughs> do you, so do you think Nintendo would allow that? No, no, I think they so just I'm, said, okay. Uh, I, I'd be, so this is what I would say. I, I would say, I'll have you know that it is much harder to make a video game than what a bunch of Kansas kids can do. <laughs> right, right. Specifically kids from Kansas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anywhere else, you're good. You know, I think it's funny, too, because they didn't even 
maybe they were afraid, but that someone was going to steal their game or something. But they they implied that they were going to make a game, and then they said at the end, like, "Oh, but we'll send an idea." Like that's not the same thing. <laughs> yeah, they they want. It's like they want. We want you to make the game. It's like we're going to make a game, and they just send like a log line. Like, please make this. I would like the idea to just have been like Super Mario Brothers two. Like that's this is my idea. Can you guys make this? Like, yeah. I remember when I was in middle school, uh, it was, you know, the Xbox was out and we we were playing a lot of Mech Assault and a couple of friends and I were just like drawing like mechs that like we had the idea of. It was just like, like, oh, this would be a cool mech and it would have this kind of gun and it'd be like this, this interesting to uh, uh, play as. And then one of my friends was like, you think we could send this to... <laughs> xbox and, and and see if we could get these made and i mean i i understand that that thought that kids may have had what did a uh, nintendo power say to these kids they said uh we are always glad that our video games are stimulating the imaginations of our players unfortunately for various legal reasons we are not allowed <laughs> to use our proposal your proposals or send them to our product development people in japan just like humble brag that all of their people are in japan too <laughs> you know, Sean, it's funny that you touched upon that, like, making a game thing, though, because I'm sure that's, like, things that everybody has gone through, right? Like, Joe, you must have, at one point in your childhood, designed a video game in your head. Uh, I used yeah. to, like, trying to design Pokemon regions. Like, this is what the <laughs> gym leaders would be, and this, these are the routes, and, you know, here's the Elite Four. That's cute. I thought that was fun. I mean, I, yeah. liked, I liked Star Fox 64, but I, I didn't love it as much as the fact that I designed a whole game that was just basically Star Fox 64 again, but with my characters and my planets in them. <laughs> Ooh, who was your character? No, I can't remember anything. I just remember that I would, like, design the... the tree. No, I'm serious. I would, like, design this tree system. Oh, I think his name was, like... His name was, like, Ray, R-E-Y, like, in Star... Like, the Star Ooh. Wars character, but I did it, you know, 20 years before them. So... <laughs> so you should be getting paid royalties. Right, I have to just find so that character art. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, so to be clear, you're taking credit for the Star Wars sequel trilogy. I, I don't think anybody would proudly do that. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying, you're the person, for better or worse, to point the finger at. All right, this next True. question comes from Michael Hawthorne in uh, Texas, and he writes, I have heard Icarus from Kid Icarus pronounced many ways. How do you pronounce it? <laughs> Well, I think we know how you do now, Mike. You do, but how do how do you pronounce? <laughs> Wait, how do you do? So, in in the magazine, did they spell it out phonetically how he spelled it? Nope, they just wrote it exactly the same <laughs> way. Well, then I guess they would just say we pronounce it Icarus, like just the, the yeah, just the word. Yeah. That would be honestly like a funny like troll move for them <laughs> yeah. to do, just be like Icarus and just spell it out. <laughs> but like, what else could they have thought of? Like he said, he's heard it many ways. The only other way I can I, think of I is know, Icarus. I, uh, yeah, Icarus, Icarus, Icarus. But, the, but he should understand what Icarus is, and it's not something that Nintendo made up. <laughs> Why didn't he just Google it? Yeah. Loser. Next one. Texas a loser. A little controversial from Brian here. He doesn't list where he lives. Uh, he says, do your Nintendo tapes only last five years? Does it matter if you set them on chairs or if you put the controllers on the floor? What the fuck? <laughs> this is my favorite one. I've often wondered if it matters if I put my tapes on chairs. <laughs> or your controllers on the floor. Like, uh, they have to be on the floor at some time, right? Like, <laughs> At no point well, is, the, is he playing the floor as lava with his controllers. Yeah, if if they do touch the floor, that means you get seven years of bad luck. Did they answer with like you put your tapes on chairs? Like really, like frantic? Like, get them off! Get them off! Tapes on no, uh, they didn't. They didn't go that crazy. They immediately started off by letting everyone else who's not in the know know that the term tape is a slang term for game <laughs> cartridges. Uh, but they uh, they just go on to say that they do not recommend placing a cartridge or any part of the game where it could be sat or stepped on. So like, they are advising against chairs. Yeah, I guess that's Evil fair. chairs. All right. Uh, let's see. Do we have one more? Um, hmm. Well, we have this punch-out poem from Paul Woods. Uh, Mike Tyson's... <laughs> Where's he from? He's from uh, James, Janesville, Wisconsin. Okay. Okay. Yeah, this, is, sure. this is his punch-out poem. 
Mike Tyson's great, the man in black. He's got more power than Little Mac. He can really go when he gets in the ring. He starts his move when the bell goes ding. To get in the ring to play the best, first you have to beat the rest. You think Mike Tyson can't be beat, but if you have the strength, you can knock him off his feet. That kid is now a best-selling author um, that has made many poetry collections uh, and has read them aloud at many a campus for money. I I would agree with that assessment. Uh, Joe, do you think he has any future or had a future now that he's significantly (laughs) older? I I just I just need a moment. Oh, okay. It's okay. It really really got me. Uh, (laughs) It's okay, Joe. You know, and and no more questions here, but I think it's important to uh, just go over like what was in the fans' minds as like their top five games on the NES. And so at this point in time, this covers every game that's been released. Their top five is number one, The Legend of Zelda, still. Number two, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Number three, Metroid. Number four, Super Mario Brothers. And still kicking it, with me at least, number five, Kid Icarus. Or Icarus, or Ikaruga, whatever you say. (laughs) So this is their, this this is some kid's This is actually, this is a very uh, interesting thing where they take the, they take the player's picks, the pro's picks, and the dealer's picks, and they merge them together. Okay, I guess that makes sense. And I never, I still will never understand the Kid Icarus thing, but. Well, you know, it's always telling when you can see what the dealer's picks are, which is on the next page, because they like show you a breakdown of how the points are totaled. And the dealer's picks, what I love about them is it's just like whatever isn't selling that well, like let's make sure that goes up high. Like RBI <laughs> okay. Baseball is their number one NES game. Wow, I love it. <laughs> better, than, better than The Legend of Zelda, which falls to number three, but Kid Icarus is number two. Did you guys lose <laughs> me? <laughs> wow, no. <laughs> no, I was just stunned. I have to have stunned. Okay, silence. good. You know what? I think that's actually a great point to end then. Just like, but Kid Icarus is still number two. All right, we'll end there. I'm going to stop recording. <laughs>